welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 16th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 29th, 2019, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we're here, gathered, working on this text this week, and especially kind of with how the political news and world news has kind of been talking a lot about Greta Timberg, who we talked about last week, and the stuff that she's been doing with the UN this last week. So it's kind of exciting to feel like we were working right in the middle of that and to be able to work with that. And I think it's a good subject to actually be thinking about and contemplating is what is our environmental impact? And like we've talked about the last couple of weeks is what is the cost? Maybe we don't see the cost initially, but just like you learn in any type of basic economics is that there is no such thing as a free lunch. There is always a cost somewhere. And I think it's a great time to be contemplating that, thinking about that. And when we're thinking about kind of like what we talked about last week, what we're going to be looking at this week, I think there's a lot of tie-ins that we as a world need to confront and discuss. And I think partially what makes this such a difficult conversation is that if you're listening to this podcast, most likely you're considered a rich man. You're considered somebody who is in a position of strength, a position of some type of disposable income, position of some type of wealth in some way. And we don't like putting ourselves in that box because often there is greater responsibility placed on those people. And we don't necessarily always want to feel that right out of the box, especially that most of us are probably born into these countries that have these economic powers. And when we're considering and thinking about the environment and where we're at right now, it's scary. It's a very scary thing. And I think, honestly, if you haven't had the opportunity yet to talk to your congregation, I think this is a great opportunity to look at that. For this week. And if you want to use some of the stuff I've used the last few weeks, go right ahead. I think this is where the church is in this unique position right now, that you have the opportunity to make a stance, the opportunity to make a huge impact that obviously when you're looking at these youth marches, this is something that I can relate to, especially it hits home for us. And when I've talked to different young people this week and talking about some of the different things that are going on and discussing how does the church fit into that, it's one of the things that has come up is, are you just going to talk the talk or are you actually going to walk the walk? If the church is honestly about social justice, about climate justice, talking about justice, then let's make a stand. Let's make a statement and actually follow through on it, not just say words, but actively do something about it. And I think right now the church is in a fine position to be able to do that. It's the question of if we will actually fulfill and follow through with what we've talked about doing. So enough of an introduction for this week. But before we dig into this week's podcast, I have to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, where else, as somebody who is a layperson within the church, do you get to listen to seminary professors 
discuss scripture. And that's the beautiful thing that I find with Working Preacher. They have various different ones. I love listening to the Sermon Brainways podcast, recently joined by Joy J. Moore, but also Caroline Lewis, Matt Skinner, and Ralph Jacobson. It's a great podcast. It helps me, since I'm not an ordained minister, be able to give me direction on a week-to-week basis to be able to bring you this podcast. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Second of all, before we get into this week's podcast, we got to look at last week's Twitter question. And last week's Twitter question was, are you being a good land manager? And if given the opportunity to do anything and not worry about money or wealth, what would you do and why? And why aren't you doing it? And I've gotten a couple responses about land manager that the assumption at times is that we are a good land manager. And I would argue on top of that, that there are ways that we are, but there are always ways that we can improve. And I think that's one of the things that I think as a church, as a world, we have to be able to consider is that we may feel like we're doing a good enough job, but just like in any type of field, the best at what they do are always refining their craft. They're always looking for the holes, the flaws, the places where they can improve. And that's what makes the difference, especially in like sports, the difference between good and great can be the devil in the details and spending time in the details. And I think it's right now with where we are in our world Good maybe isn't good enough. It's time for us to really consider how can we be great. And I actually did have an interesting example for if you had the opportunity to do something. And there was a person that I know who is seriously considering purchasing a section of land that isn't an amazing piece of land, but part of it is just to buy it so that it can just stay that the way that it is. Just let it be God's creation. And for them, there's also kind of some selfish ambition so that that way there isn't stuff built on the land. And I think there's times where it can be a dual purpose like that. And I think there's a benefit to something like that. And I think at times we need to be able to consider that and to be able to think about what would that actually mean? What does it mean to buy land and not use and be okay with it? And seeing it in maybe pure finances as a loss, but look at the possible gain that comes from it. And I think that's another great example. And I think this week, this is kind of a subject that kind of gets continued and discussed further, especially based off the readings that we have. So buckle up. I think this week we continue to dive into that. And the examples that I pulled up this week, I found myself were a little surprising. It went in a little bit different way than I thought it was going to go. But I think this is a great lesson for us, and I think it plays in beautifully with the gospel. So let's get into it. The gospel reading this week is out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has all these wonderful things, dressed in purple, which was a hard color in the time that this was written, and fine linen, and feasted sumptuously every day. And then you have this man, Lazarus, who is covered with sores that the dogs are literally licking outside the gate of this man. And when both of them die, the rich man goes to Hades and the poor man goes to heaven. And that he is then crying out to Father Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. And Abraham pretty much states that, no, (laughs) no. You 
ignored him throughout your life, why would he come to you now? And so then he's begging on the behalf of his five brothers in his father's house that he may go back to him and warn them about this. And Abraham then replies, why would they listen to you? If they haven't listened to the prophets that we already have there, why would somebody raising from the dead change their mind? And one thing that was brought up in a text study that I was looking through this week, and I think it's an important thing to note, the rich man's name is never addressed, yet the poor man's name is. The rich man's name is never stated, but the poor man's name is. And I think at times we overlook that. We assume power as being notoriety. And yet in this case, it's the complete opposite. And I think it's something to consider. The first reading is from Amos chapter 6, verses 1a and verses 4 through 7. And this is, again, this continuing reading from Amos, who is between the two different tribes of Judah at this time, the north and the south, and is discussing and talking about all these different things and warning them. And I think verse 4, starting there, is a great place to start. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from their flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp like David improvised on instruments of music, who drink wine from bulls and anoint themselves with the finest oil, but have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, which would be the whole Judea. Therefore, they shall be the first to go into exile, and reverie of the loungers shall pass away. That's verses 4 through 7. The idea of because they were so consumed with themselves, so consumed in the wealth, that they're missing the point. They're missing the point of the people that they're being trampled on, the separation, the tear that is there because they aren't actually being observant to it. The alternative first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 1 through 3a and 6 through 15. Interesting reading, I feel, to have it this week. But you have Jeremiah getting this word and talking to the people that going through certain channels to purchase this land that isn't necessarily needed, but to be set aside for the Lord. That this land is here and God has ways that he wants to prosper the land, but it needs to be purchased. But it doesn't seem like it's needed at the time. And it coming out of the last verse, verse 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be brought into the land. And like this was the beginning of doing that into the promised land. So again, the idea of sometimes taking a risk and following where God is leading, which then leads us to where his initial intention actually is. The psalm this week is Psalm 146. And again, this is the idea of praising God, but we can't take anything with us. And that God sets us free from these burdens that we have by not letting us bring all this stuff with us. 
and that we cause ourselves our own pain because we try bringing it with us. Actually, there was a fun little joke that we had this week at Tech Study that this man is very concerned about his wealth and has this gold and continues to boil it down, boil it down, boil it down, boil it down until he has bars of gold. And when he dies and gets to heaven, somehow the suitcase of gold is with him. And so when he gets to the gate, Peter then says, so why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> because their roads are paved with gold. And so this idea of, again, of that we can't bring things with us. We have to be okay with just letting it go. The second reading this week is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-19. through 19. And again, this kind of builds upon this idea that it's very easy for us to fall into temptation and tempt the heart with things that pass away, the things that are of ruin. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some will have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains, coming from verse 10. So this idea that our wealth can distract us from what is actually the truth of where we're going, and that is through Christ alone that we're able to move forward and be able to see the light, if you want to put it that way, of what Christ is really trying to pour into us. I think this week pours into that when you take into account what's been going on with our world, with the discussions of UN, and all these different compounding factors and how fast the world seems to be moving right now. And we often then miss the point because I feel like, again, when we're having these discussions, we're so worried at times about the bottom line that we end up, I think, because of our wealth, missing the point. This week, I was really highly influenced a lot by the first reading in Amos and the gospel text. And so one of the things that I had decided when I was listening and reading through these texts was I'm going to go and try to find an extinct animal that was a hoarding animal that would stash stuff away. And essentially, it didn't adapt fast enough to the changing times in which it were in. And what a great example for what's going on. Essentially trying to take the rich man's approach to what's going on. Instead, what I found when I was actually trying to find this was this was incredibly difficult. And that more and more I was finding was the poor man or Lazarus. This last week then, as I was working with this, I was going through lists of extinct species. And it's specifically trying to go into what are their feeding habits? And many of them was essentially, we probably knew they were nocturnal, and we might have a general idea of what they were eating. But the word or phrase that kind of kept coming up was very limited field study observations or very limited observations of was a phrase that I kept coming across. And to me, as I kept reading page after page after page of the same essential thing, how much it reminded me of Lazarus. That we had named the species, we knew a little bit about it, we knew where it was, we had kind of figured out where the range of the species was, but yet we hadn't taken the time to actually observe, and sometimes until it was too late, really make a difference. A great example of that is the Brabble melamoles. It's an extinct species, I'll attach the link down below. And this was on a small island kind of off the northern tip of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And they were last seen 
in 2009. And after a storm had kind of gone through and wiped out a lot of the vegetation, they were like, oh, what about this species? Maybe we should try doing some conservation work to try to save this species. And they were putting money into trying to figure out how we're going to save this species. In 2016, it was declared extinct because they weren't able to find enough to really be able to do a study. And so it was declared extinct by the International Union of Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, in May of 2015. And the Australian government finally gave up on the idea in February of 2019. And the significant thing is, is this is the first species declared purely due to climate change because of the rising seashore wiping out their food source. Us not noticing and caring until it was too late. And as I was reading through various bird species and various mammal species, it was kind of interesting because it's even like the ones that are from like the 1920s, 1930s, where there's some field research where we're saying that we noticed that they ate this, which this plant isn't great for us, So, but we know that they were eating it, which then brings the science part of my brain to say, that would have been nice to know to see what enzymes, what things are going on so that it wasn't hurting that species. What was it doing? Was there something that we could learn from it? Or have we gotten so consumed with our wealth we missed it. A lot of these different ones can be contributed to human interaction, especially if you're looking at like North American bird species from the even the beginning of the Industrial Revolution to probably even the 1930s. They were causing problems with farming or causing some type of nuisance that was distracting work. There was multiple species that they figured died during World War II just because of the interaction, and some of them were in small, remote islands. Some of them are, we had found a nuisance, and we've talked about this before. We had found a nuisance, and we brought in another creature, and that there, Hawaii is a great example of this. There was a lot of flightless birds. You start bringing in snakes, they were sitting ducks, almost literally. Often, we aren't noticing them then until it's too late. We aren't noticing the Lazaruses until it's too far gone. And I think part of what you want to hear from a younger person's perspective, part of why this is so frustrating is that we are seeing this, and yet there's so many who are turning a blind eye to it. Yes, extinction is a part of life, but we also know from fossil records what the general extinction rate of things are. And we're at about five times the rate of that. And I'll attach a link down below to extinction rate. When we're seeing that, that isn't just coincidental. That takes some type of purpose. And if you want to claim it as climate change, great. If you want to claim it as human interaction, great. Either way, it means that there needs to be a change. Just like we want to have diversity with people, diversity of a planet is in vastly important. It's because of the diversity of people we're able to conquer and think of and figure out these big problems that are in front of us. And don't you think that if there's more things to look at, we can then maybe figure out more things? It's very easy when I am looking at and discussing passages like this right now and hearing people wanting to just talk about the human side of it. 
But I think the thing that we often miss if we aren't willing to go beyond the human experience is we have to remember that God had five and a half other days of creation before we came. There's a lot we can learn about this God that we're trying to understand, we're trying to build a relationship with. And the focus purely on a half a day may or may not be the best part of actually figuring out the essence and the personality of who God is. As a scientist, I see so much beauty that has been concocted and created by God. And this isn't just the sun setting in the western sky every night. Yes, there's beauty in that, but is there not beauty in the cobweb of a spider that beautifully is created to remind us how beautifully the creation of our creator has originally made? Is it not beautiful to see the reflection off that lake of the sun bouncing off of it, but yet we still have to remember about the plants and the fish that are in that lake, the beauty of what they are experiencing that was gifted to them? Yes, there is trust, but yes, we were put in charge of taking care of this place. I'd argue, are we ignoring this place that we have become so consumed with our own self-image as a human being species, that we have become the rich man. The human species as a whole has become the rich man. Poor and rich, all of us. Because we have determined that we are more important than the rest. That the rest of the world, the planet, is Lazarus. The land, everything. And that it will figure out a way to lick and cover its sores. But then what does that mean? Because I don't want to take on the world by myself with just humans. Because I'm dependent on things outside of me. I'm dependent on trees. I'm dependent on, at the current moment, metal. I'm dependent on these natural resources that are around me. But if I overlook the pain and suffering that it might be telling me, how good of a land manager, how good of a person am I really being? Am I then being the rich man and overlooking what is going on around me? We have to be okay with understanding and looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, I am who Jesus is saying made a mistake. And being okay with that and realizing that it then keeps me in a place of humility. It keeps me in a place of making sure I don't get too haughty. It keeps me in a place of keeping my eyes open and looking out and looking to the peripheries on where is there places that need help. This might not be the typical model of what you see church being because sometimes the peripheries are not what we would perceive as beautiful places. Sometimes the peripheries put us in places that are difficult to be in, mostly mentally, that we say we don't belong here. We don't belong doing this. I would argue myself, as a 27-year-old, I don't belong fighting for the place that God created. I don't belong standing in those places and saying, think about what you're doing, because we only have one place to live. Paul writes about us checking our heart at the door in Timothy this week. And I think that's the place at which we're at. 
as a church, as a world? Are we going to let our own greed, and myself is included in this, get in front of what is actually going on? As Greta Tinberg put this week, the house is on fire. Literally on fire. And we've talked about that. Are we going to sit in the house and say that this isn't a problem? Or are we going to run out and try to save whatever we can? Because if we sit in the house, we are like the rich man. We're consumed by our possessions and too worried about these things that pass away with the passing of a flame. But if we run outside and try to save what is left, we understand how precious and valuable life is, and that the things inside really, in the scheme of things, aren't that important. It's the people that are around us, it's the world in which was given to us that's valuable. So this week, the Twitter question will be, reflect what is truly valuable to you. I know for me personally, this has been a bit of a rough couple days. I've had some personal life things that are causing me to really think about what is valuable in life. And it's love. It's love and care of other people. And I would argue that love and care needs to extend to our creator. And if we're going to be able to say that, we should care about his creation also. And so, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.